You're here, right? Are you awake? Are you alive? Good. Wonderful. Hey, I just want to uh, share a quick story over this weekend. Uh, I had a wonderful weekend with my family. Uh, I have a beautiful wife, Rebecca, and two boys, Seth and Simeon, if you were unaware of. And we did this kind of three-day celebration over a family day weekend plus Valentine's Day weekend and just had some fun with it. And so on Thursday evening, our oldest son, Seth, uh, went out to dinner with Rebecca and had like a son and uh, and mom date Valentine's thing. It was pretty fun. And then on Friday night, she did the same thing with Simeon. Uh, and the two boys spoiled her by going to their own favorite restaurants. Uh, and so Thursday, Rebecca got to go to Boston Pizza with Seth. And then on Friday, she got to go to White Spot with Simeon and had a great time. <laughs> and then our Valentine's thing we do together as a family on Valentine's Day. And it, uh, it's so fun and so special just doing it, the four of us together and making it more of like a family thing rather than just a one-on-one thing. Uh, And it was really, really special. Uh, And so I hope that you guys had a great weekend too. And uh, I look forward to this week. I look forward to this chapel. I look forward to diving into God's word again. I look forward to continuing on in our stories uh, through the book of, uh, we did Ezra. We looked at a passage in there. Kim began and talked about Nehemiah last week. And so we're going to be camping in Nehemiah for the next couple of weeks. So I love to see journals. I love seeing Bibles and pens. And so this is what I'd love to see the entire semester is for you to write down as much as you can, take in as much as you can, because I believe the Lord wants to do something inside of us. He wants to reform us. He wants to uh, alter our soul levels and build weight into our soul levels so that as we step out of this room and off this campus, that we are secure in who we are. We have a solid foundation in our faith in Jesus, uh, and our theology is biblically accurate and correct. Uh, And in today's day and age, I believe this is more sensitive of a subject than uh, previously in my ministry experience. Uh, And there's some real... um, it's really good to see the church and in our hearts, the conviction in our hearts to see such a drive, such an overemphasis on like proper theology, proper doctrine, uh, making sure that God's word is what leads us in everything that we do. It's the foundation for our reformation and all of that. So uh, as Ezra committed himself, we're going to commit ourselves this semester. Amen? Amen? I love seeing or hearing those muffled amens, Okay. Okay, so last week, Kim, she uh, opened up the book of Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 1, and she focused on Nehemiah's prayer. Uh, And I was so convicted through that. I was only able to be here for one chapel service. Um, We're blessed enough to get to relive it usually over and over again, which often means you get to pick something up that you didn't the first or second time you heard it. Uh, And I was convicted really in my heart about how Nehemiah, he prayed and he fasted and he mourned for his people. He grieved for his people. And I was just reminded again as a pastor, the importance to grieve over the pain and the loss and the hurt of God's people. And that is what called me into ministry. And I'm certain Kim would say the same. I remember that moment where I felt just grieved for the lost. I felt so broken for those who are broken and desired for the brokenhearted to experience the blessing that I was able to experience, that we have experienced. And I was 
drawn. I felt called into ministry in that moment. So it reminded me of that. And I, I love that distinction that Kim made in regards to Nehemiah and how that is what propelled him to pray. That is what propelled him, as we'll see, into ministry and into leadership. Not because he was disappointed in the leaders that had gone prior to him, that his brother Hananiah had explained about the situation that Jerusalem is in. He could have been very frustrated. He could have been distraught about, oh, the leaders said that they were going to do this, and it doesn't look the way that they said that it was going to do, and I think it would be better if it was done this way. And too often I feel, and I hear students here explain that they feel maybe necessarily called into ministry, pastoral, or whatever it may be, because someone told them they would be a good preacher, or because they don't like how their leaders have done it before, and they have a better idea. And I just felt the conviction in my heart to be reminded again that that's not the reason why we go into ministry, is because we're dissatisfied with those who have been leading in front of us and have gone before us, but because we feel deep in our soul a conviction where we're broken for the broken hearted. So can we agree that here we will be known for people who are obedient to God's call because of the conviction and passion he places in us for his people? Can we agree that here, that is our mandate, that is our goal, that we're going to be people who are brokenhearted and long to care for the orphans and the widows, the marginalized, the poor in spirit, the hurting and the lost. And you can put names to those categorizes because I know you have names to those categories in your life who would be considered the orphan or the widow or the marginalized or the poor in spirit or the brokenhearted or the lost. And we're not doing it because we've been dissatisfied with leadership before us. But because like Christ, we can surrender and serve like Jesus because I too am brokenhearted for the lost. That we can serve like Nehemiah in the example that he led because he mourned and he grieved and people gripped his heart. So he fasted and he prayed for them. And as we do so, that's where the Holy Spirit works at our soul level where he reforms us in our inner being and he transforms us and he changes us to where we respond in which the spirit is leading. Can we be that kind of people? Yeah, amen? Okay, so we're going to look into Nehemiah chapter 2 today. So open up your Bibles. I'll have it up on the screen as well. Get your lightsabers out too if you got your phone. I call that the lightsaber if the Bible, physical is the sword. This can be your lightsaber. Open up to you version. Get to Nehemiah chapter 2, okay? <clears throat> so Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to go through the whole chapter here together. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, where wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you were not ill? This cannot, or this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. 
And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber and make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent an army sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. We're in verse 11 now. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had because as yet I had, no, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Lord, our ears are open to receive from you today, this morning. We settle our hearts, we settle our minds, and we say, have your way inside of us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reform us, that these words that we have been reading through and will continue to look into, Spirit, we we open ourselves up to allow you to speak to us, to teach us, to direct, lead, and to guide us, and to form us. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. So here, Nehemiah, he is uh, about to embark on his journey, about to embark on his wonderful journey, the third wave back to Jerusalem, out of exile. Okay, but he has some business to attend to here first. So the events that took place in chapter one that we talked about last week, this is about four months later, just from chapter one to chapter two is about four months of time that has gone by. Uh, And so Nehemiah didn't leave immediately after Hananiah informed him of the situation that Jerusalem is in, the ruins, the disgrace that's been going on, right? Uh, And yet he prayed, he worked, was faithful at what he was called to do in that moment. Uh, And so he prayed and he fasted and he mourned. And so about four months took place. uh, And we see the effects of Nehemiah's prayer take shape in his actions in chapter two. Many of the actions that Nehemiah actually follows through with and fulfills is a direct response to what he prayed about in chapter one. It's beautiful to see that prayer leads to action. Same thing in our lives. Prayer ought to lead us to respond, lead us to action into what God is calling us into. And so uh, what we're doing today is we're going to look at what happened when Nehemiah prayed is our focus for today. 
So like I said, chapter begins, Nehemiah, before he has taken the journey, he's sad and the king asks him, why does your face look so sad when you were not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. So this is a response to his mourning for his people. It's becoming an expression upon his face because he has fasted and he has mourned over his people, which I've, I still find a little interesting that Nehemiah, who is the cupbearer to the king, so he's close. He's an adversary. He, he would have some level of friendship with the king. He was the one who made sure the liquids were good, the food wasn't poisoned, and then the king would partake in it. Yet Nehemiah fasted. His job is eating, and then he fasted. So he was actually, in his time off, I'm assuming, would have been fasting uh, from food, abstaining from it, knowing that the food that he ate was probably the best of the best to begin with. But he's essentially sacrificing. He's sacrificing what he has because he's so convicted in his heart. Now he's about to sacrifice essentially what is unsure of what the king's response is going to be as he makes his pretty bold request. And here's Nehemiah. He's sad before the king, which wouldn't have been customary, which would not have been okay and normal uh, for his servants. Uh, They would show cheerfulness before a king. It was actually a pleasure to be in front of the king. And so if you were to show any sadness, that would be disrespect towards the king. And so he's actually taken a bit of a risk, a sacrifice to show his sadness of heart. Uh, And then not only just the sadness approach, uh, but to bring your personal issues to the king would have been an absolute no-no. So there's lots in which that Nehemiah is sacrificing, counting his cost, knowing, okay, this is a significant moment. So Nehemiah, sad. The king says, why are you so sad? And in verse uh, verse 2 here, going to 3, he says, "Uh, I was very much, or sorry, let me... uh, Yeah, that's right. Verse two, verse three. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And so what we see here in the first response in what Nehemiah and how he prayed, he received courage before the king. Knew the sacrifices were large, potentially very large and looming and could have been very negative, but he had courage as he prayed and spent time in the presence of the Lord, courage was developed and built inside of him to make this step. He was afraid, but he still spoke out. He showed courage as a result of his time with the Lord. And when we pray, when we spend time with the Lord, fear isn't necessarily always eliminated, but it is definitely overtaken. The prophet Isaiah, he wrote that no weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. He didn't say that there will be no more weapons. He didn't say any that that's going to be eliminated. He said those weapons that are forged against you, they will not prevail. They will not take you over. And actually, we have other scripture passages that we know through Joshua to be strong and courageous and not to be terrified. We know that perfect love drives out fear, that we are to not fear because the Lord is with us, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, that fear still may exist, but love can overpower. It can overtake it. And time with the Lord can actually allow us to conquer those fears because love overtakes it. Or in Romans, it says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So having courage doesn't mean there is no fear. Having courage means standing up for and against in the midst of fear. 
this is what Nehemiah showed. He stood up in the midst of fear. It says, he was afraid, and yet he spoke out. It reminds me of David in Psalm 56. He writes, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. So put his trust in the Lord, who's courageous. When Nehemiah prayed, he was passionate for the things of God. So in verse 4, it says, The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. You know those last-minute prayers that were like, oh, Lord, please, I need you in this moment. Do you know those prayers? You ever prayed those before? Where you're like, okay, Lord, uh, my hermeneutics paper is due, or Pentateuch paper is due on Wednesday, and midterm exam's going to come up, and you sit at the table, and you're like, okay, Jesus, I need your help right now. Do you know that there are biblical faith giants who prayed those prayers? Nehemiah prayed those prayers. Now, the difference is, is those prayers are not the ones that we should lay as the foundation of our faith, okay? We read in chapter 1, and for months and months, Nehemiah, on a regular basis, prayed and fasted as the foundation of his prayer life. But then in those moments, those quick shootout prayers, Lord, I need you. Can you be here? I need some wisdom. I need some guidance. I need your favor. I need your blessing. And those quick shootout prayers, man, those are wonderful as they're a part of the other foundational prayers that we have in our life. So Nehemiah prayed. <clears throat> Those quick inserted prayers. Kim had mentioned, actually, there was 10 other times in the book of Nehemiah that we'll see prayers very similar to that concept, these quick shot prayers that come out, as yet those are not the foundation in which that, this, that Nehemiah lives his life on. He has developed a prayer muscle in which has been built over time. And so he, he did. He, he prayed and he spoke to the king very boldly, very courageously. Uh, and we see that through it, that Nehemiah also, as he prayed, was aware of God's favor in his life. He was very aware of God's favor in his life. I talked about this two weeks ago. Kim mentioned about this last week too. This, this blessing, this favor that God has in our lives as believers, as his citizens, as his children, there is favor in our life. And so in verses 5 to 8, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah. On to verse 6, how long will the journey take and when will you get back, the king asks. Nehemiah responds, it pleased the king to send me. Verse 7, and also I said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters. And then down onto the end of verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. God's favor, God's blessing. Okay, Nehemiah found favor with the king. And we need to take a moment here. Okay, and I need to highlight how huge this actually is in this moment, okay? So Nehemiah, he makes three requests before the king. Again, I've already told you about the conduct. He was a friend, a close advisor. He should be cheerful. Never should a servant really bring his requests before the king in this regard. But more so than that, listen to how important this is. So his first one is, is to go back and to build, uh, to go back to his people and to build. So he had this plan. He showed him his plan. The king asked, when are you going? When are you going to come back? So we showed him his itinerary. Uh, 
he also told him the reason for his travel. So he gave the request to go. He asked for authority in his travel and safety in his travel for these letters to bring to the governors for the territory that he's going to go through. Okay. And he also asked for resources for the timber. Okay. Through the forest uh, supervisor explaining that, explaining what he would use the wood for. This is huge. Go back to his people, authority and safety and travel and for the resources to rebuild. This is why it's huge. Back in Ezra, in chapter four, King Artaxerxes, the same king, this is what it says. A letter was sent to him. To King Artaxerxes, from your servants in Trans-Euphrates, okay, the territory in which he was going to. The king should know that the people who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. First wave coming in rebuilding the temple, the altar, this wicked and rebellious city, they say. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. Verse 13, furthermore, the king should know that that if this city is built and its walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid, and eventually the royal revenues will suffer. We inform the king that if this city is built and its walls are restored, you will be left with nothing in trans-Euphrates. This is Ezra 4, the king Artaxerxes sent his reply. Verse 18, the letter you sent us has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order and a search was made and it was found that the city that has a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedition. Way to go, Israelites. (laughs) Jerusalem has had powerful kings over the whole trans-Euphrates and taxes and tributes and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these men to stop work so so that the city will not be rebuilt until I order so. Be careful not to neglect this matter. That's what this king, Artaxerxes, issued back in Ezra 4. This same king that Nehemiah is bringing these requests to, to go back to my people, to rebuild these walls. I need safety, I need authority, and I need resources to do what you actually told us not to do. This is huge, in which that Nehemiah brought these things before the king. He found favor with the king. And the king granted all these requests. And not only did he grant all these requests, he also sent army officials and soldiers on horse with him. Wow. You ever have those prayers? You're like, God, I need you. And we make these requests and he fulfills them and yet gives us more. That is this pictured so beautifully. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves as well to think that as we just live in obedience to God and to his word, that everything in life is easy and beautiful and we always get what we ask for. Because yes, Nehemiah had favor, but he also had foes. It foes. We get uh, introduced to the antithesis of the story, Sanballat and Tobiah who are against him. And we'll see in the coming chapters how dangerous and crazy matters are to get. Nehemiah had favor with the Lord. Also, too, we see as he prayed, Nehemiah was patient. Verses 11 to 16. Uh, I went to Jerusalem, sorry, 11 and 12. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. 
Nehemiah had patience. Again, he's the third wave. We're talking decades and decades of being able to have to wait before going back to Jerusalem. Between the events of chapter one and two, it took four months. His travel to Jerusalem would have taken uh, about two months. And then he stayed three nights there before doing anything. And he set out at night and he told no one. Nehemiah had great patience. He was full of wisdom. And I believe in this time that God was working in Nehemiah. God first worked in Nehemiah before he worked through Nehemiah. And leaders, let me tell you, to first allow God to work in you, in your heart, before he uses you to lead someone else's. I'm going to say that again because I believe you're going to write it down. First, allow God to work in your heart before he uses you to lead someone else's. Nehemiah had patience. Soul patience. Internal regard. Knowing that, okay, I'm going to hold on to this until the right time, until the right moment in which I will then allow those around me, the workers that he lists in verses 15 and 16. And then we see uh, in verse 17 to 20, Nehemiah had perspective. After he prayed, Nehemiah had perspective. You see, the trouble we are in, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah had perspective. Nehemiah had vision. See the trouble we're in? Nehemiah spoke of hope in the midst of despair. A godly perspective about a godly vision. And Nehemiah had this godly vision. I love that it's written here that I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king said to me. He had double king support. Like he was ready to go, right? (laughs) So they replied, let us start rebuilding. And he says in verse 20, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. So a bit of a spoiler um, alert for you here. Kim and I talk about you guys. Like when we're not talking to you, we talk about you. (laughs) We do like throughout the entire year, whether we're in school or out of school, we talk about you and we pray for you. Uh, And we have been talking recently uh, in regards to um, some of our leaders, all of our leaders on campus, but those specifically that are upon our hearts and how we cry out for and desire the best for, and we see God working in our leaders, in our young leaders, in your lives. And we see as young leaders, I know, we know that you want to lead the right way. We know that you want to lead the right way. You're full of life. You're full of hope. You're full of zeal. You're full of energy that we often lack at times. I see it, okay? We see it all the time. We see the spirit move in your lives reveal things to you in unique ways that only you really hear the way that God speaks to you and we try to piece some things together and do our very best with it. 
But so often we see immediately that, that when something is received and revealed to you, a response may be, oh, I got to get this out immediately. I got to get this out so everybody hears what I've heard. This has got to be a message for this community. This has got to be a statement that they need to hear because I just realized this. So that means nobody else knows it. Therefore, I need to be the messenger to go and to inform and to tell everyone. And you may not be wrong, but you may not be right yet. Maybe what the Lord is revealing to you is for you. Maybe it's for you, speaking specifically to you in your situation and in your circumstance. He's speaking to you. He's building you. He's reforming you from the inside, constructing you. And that's this this image of these buildings where it's this internal foundation that's being built that is necessary for any external visuals to be first seen. The internal, the framing, maybe he's framing you, sharpening you, reforming you, building you into a person of courage, a a person of passion, of conviction, of favor, of patience, and perspective. See, interesting with these points, okay, the, the points that Kim had led with in her sermon last week was compassion. He prayed about compassion. We see the, the passion that Nehemiah has. He prayed about acknowledgement. He acknowledged over and over, if it pleases the king, it pleased the king. If it pleases the king, the gracious hand of my God is upon me and it pleased the king. He acknowledges it. It's because of God's work of obedience. He was obedient in the work. And then successful work he prayed for. Successful work. He says at the end, the God of heaven will give us success. He prays and believes that God of heaven will give him success. So when you pray and submit and obey, God gives you his perspective his vision, his view. He breaks your heart for his people and how he sees his people, building in you so the God of heaven will succeed through you. And I'll finish with this. The God of heaven wants to reform you so he will succeed through you. A big reason why I want you to bring your journals to chapel this semester specific is because I believe he is speaking. He's speaking in a way that we may not be accustomed to. Our ears may not be attuned to from how we often operate in our times of worship and celebration together. But maybe with our lack of exterior noise, we may be a little bit more in tune to hear what the Spirit is softly saying to us. And maybe what he's saying is for you. It may be for others, but maybe just not yet. Because he wants to work in you, build patience, perspective, courage, passion, and an acknowledgement of his favor in your life. May I pray for you? Lord, thank you so much that you are patient with us. Lord, thank you for your perspective towards us one of love. Because of your grace and your mercy, you look down on us. 
and call us good? Because of your redemption, you, Jesus, paying for the penalty of our sin, you look at us as your spotless, pure bride that's without blemish, a perspective that we don't deserve, but yet you have so graciously given to us and granted to us. So we acknowledge that that we are blessed people who have your favor in our lives. Spirit, would you make us more keenly aware of the favor and blessing that your hand is upon our lives, leading and guiding. And Lord, continue to work internally inside of us in a soul level to the depth of who we are. Continue to reform us. Again, we commit ourselves this semester, obedient to you, allowing you to conform us to the person you desire us to be, to the person of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this example that we see in Nehemiah, how he prays and how he responds and the perspective that he has given granted because of what you've done given to him. I pray the same for this family. I pray the same for this group here in this room right now. That We would lead by that example, by the example of Jesus as well. <clears throat> we would follow you, Spirit, in every possible way, acknowledging your favor in our lives. So the remainder of this day, Lord, I pray for your blessing. I pray that we would increase in patience and see your uh, perspective. I pray for great courage. I pray for an acknowledgement of your favor, Jesus. This day, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being here today. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday.